Welcome back to Ryan and Brian's Bible Bistro. I'm Ryan. Hey, and I'm Brian. And this is the Bible Bistro podcast all about the Bible, theology, and all things related to the Christian faith. This is the evening edition (laughs) of this. It's completely my fault. I've had I've had several issues that have kept me today, and so I appreciate. Ryan's uh, understanding. So if we say things wrong today, that we're going to blame it on the the. Uh, but I still this, see some. This, I still see some light creeping through your curtains over there. So it's not. It, after well, dark. I'm on the this east coast. I don't this, know if you knew that. <laughs> this isn't bistro after dark or anything. No, it's so. not bistro after dark. But for old guys, I feel yeah. old. It's it's getting it's getting that time. Anyway, we're back. Yeah, we are. We had a great one last week, Brian, oh, bringing the Psalms fun. and it Jesus together into one. Yeah. And we had we've had a couple of reactions to we that. Had a so. reaction. I got a yeah. text message of an exploding skull, a head blue, blue, bl- blue blowing off. Uh, yeah, the the smiley face with the head blowing off. Because totally there's like. a lot in there's a lot there's in a there. A lot in there. And there's a so. lot that you know it kind of uh, yeah. rip, ripple effects yep. out of that. So if you missed last week. You got to get back. Go back and listen listen to to this one. (laughs) Well, uh, listen to this one all the way through, then decide. Then go go back. Yes. Well, talk. We know I talked again because we've kind of been living at that ragged edge of getting things done. Like, (laughs) right. What are we going to do? What are we going to do today? And about the parables. And and actually, I think this was good because and I'll I'll, a little bit later in the in the episode, I'll talk a a bit about why I thought about this. But it's kind of bringing together some of the things we've talked about recently. You might remember Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago we talked about. Uh, the kingdom. We had this question about the kingdom of heaven. Why do we right. have the kingdom of heaven in Matthew? And w- w- you know, we went back and looked at the Old Testament concept of the kingdom and what's Jesus. You know, how central it is to his teaching and what he's trying to say with it. So it's going to bring a little bit of that uh, into it. It's going to bring a little bit of what we've seen with uh, worldview. Talking about a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that book, Transforming Vision. We didn't talk just about the book, but you had mentioned you've been mm-hmm. reading it and some of the concepts from that. And we've talked about worldview in the past, and I think it's an important way. And in fact, I'm going to tell you today the way I was introduced to the whole idea of worldview, which I came to it a little bit differently than than I think you did, Ryan, and some other people. But but um, that, that we're going to bring together those things at least, and maybe some other things that that we've looked at um, in the past several weeks. So I thought this would be good. So it's thinking about parables and how do we interpret parables. Uh, and here's the thing. You know what I'm talking about when I say a parable, right? It's one of these stories that, that Jesus tells. Uh, parables existed before Jesus. Right. Um, there are even a couple of parables in the Old Testament. But it is a form that Jesus seems to have taken and used in a lot of his teaching. And, and I think there's some good reasons for that uh, that, that I want to talk about and, and, and look at today. Here's kind of how I... I was beginning when I was talking, thinking, thinking through this with you is parables are kind of tricky in their simplicity um, because they're, they're right. very simple. Some of them are very short. They're very simple stories. And so on their surface, they might seem to have a, a very obvious meaning. And yet you get into some of them that are a little bit more difficult and a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit trickier. Um, yet I think, I think parables are powerful. Uh, in fact, don't, don't you think they're easier to remember 
than some of oh, the other. Yeah. Well, I, I, we've talked about this before. Like story yeah. is such a powerful is. hook yeah. in our brains. Yeah. And, we and remember it, movies. You know, we remember the right. storyline. And as you remember the storyline, you remember the, some of those those bits and pieces along the way. And so right. I think that's why some of the parables stick out sometimes more in our mind. It's because there's that, it's a short little condensed story that we that we can hook ourselves onto. And, and here's how it relates a little bit to worldview. I'll say more about this in a minute, but we are kind of story-making people too. We even take the things around us and fit them into a story about our own lives. So uh, if you talk about, you know, how did, if, if somebody asks you a question, well, how did you get to this point? You kind of go back and you pick up on salient moments in your life and you kind of, you know, kind of put them together in, in the form of a narrative, right? Or a story. It's like when someone asks me, how did I become the way that I am? <laughs> You're like, well, well, it all started. My, my mom dropped me on my head. And, <laughs> no. Anyway. That's all right. No, that's all right. That's fine. Keep it going. Tough guy. But yes, so, we're story-making machines. So the word parable itself means something that it, it's to, to lay alongside or to throw alongside as the idea to put things kind of side by side. And so you're making a comparison uh, between this story and some kind of point you're trying to make. And, and I think there's a couple of different ways to look at parables. Some people think that parables, because they're short and kind of punchy, have one central point. And there there have been authors that have really emphasized that point strongly, that every parable really only has one point. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, more recently, there have been some authors that have I think Blomberg may have been the first one to do it, but maybe, probably not. But anyway, there have been later authors. I have authors, no idea who you're talking about, but go ahead. Craig Blomberg. But okay. there, there, there are other authors who have suggested that there may be multiple points, and particularly with some of these longer parables. I'm going to mention one specifically in just a minute. Um, he... he propose that maybe there's one point per character. Uh, so for example, mm. the well-known parable, of the prodigal son, right? Right. We, we could tell that story. In fact, that the funny thing is you mentioned movies and stuff. That story has been retold in, in, in various ways, I think in, in, uh, both TV shows and, and, uh, movies and this kind of thing. It's a well-known story, right? The prodigal right. son. Uh, in fact, we can even just say, you know, the, the prodigal in our culture and you, you've got an idea of what we're talking about. But, but there are three main characters. There's some sub-characters in there as well. But the three main characters are the prodigal, of course. That, and that's why we, we titled the, the parable for him. And then there is the father, right, right. Uh, who he ta- speaks to at the beginning of the parable. And then, of course, the famously he comes back to and the the father receives him. But then who's the – do you remember the, who the third major character is? It's, it's the older brother who's the, upset. Exactly. And he won't come into the party, even though the father's throwing a big party, the older brother won't come in. And there have been some people who have said, well, I won't say this yet, but you know where I'm going with this. (laughs) Just like other parables, these stories, in order to understand them properly, just like everything else we say, they need to be put in their proper literary, historical, and cultural uh, or, you know, linguistic, historical, and cultural context in order to appropriately understand it. And, and there's a little bit more going on with this. The first thing is just look in the, in the textual context here. It, it, Luke 15 is where it, where the story is found. And, and the setting is given in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Uh, Luke I'm chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Uh, you want me to read it? No, I got I got it. I got it. Thank you. You're welcome. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
So th- this gives us a little bit of the of not only the textual context, but also the kind of the culture. You get a little bit of the culture mm-hmm. here, right? Um, tax collectors and sinners. <laughs> it's the group that is mentioned here. <laughs> Both of them kind of un- uh, disliked, right, by uh-huh. the by the religious elite, uh, mm-hmm. seen as outsiders. Um, are gathered being gathered to Jesus. Now that, that tells us something right there that Jesus is is there's something about his message that is attractive to these to these people, right? Mm-hmm. And and the Pharisees and teachers of the law sees them as kind of outsiders and and undesirables, let's let's put it that way. Um and so that kind of gives us the context for this this parable. Now, you may know famously, there's not just one parable in chapter 15, but Jesus then responds to them with three parables. Hmm. Um, and and they, there, there's several interesting things about it. There's the lost sheep is the first parable that he tells. And then he tells the parable we sometimes call the lost coin. And so some people call this final parable, not the, the prodigal son. Uh, prodigal you know, is this funny word that we use. This is really the only time we ever use it, right? But it has to do with the way that he squandered, he wasted his his inheritance, um, indulged in all of these various things. But but some people will call this last parable the parable of the lost son. So the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Uh, and, and these three kind of form a piece together. They all have some similarities. The first two are much shorter. The, the lost sheep and the lost coin are much shorter than the lost son, the story of the lost son. They're not as well-developed. You don't have as many characters in them. Uh, but the per- first story, the parable of the lost sheep, what do you remember about it? What what can you... you- one was lost, and okay. then and the shepherd left the 99 to find the one. Left, you know, there's 100... Man had 100 sheep, one, one was lost. Doesn't he leave the 99 to go and to find the one who's lost? And then he's joyful... You know, there's this idea of joy, which is one of the repeated things, puts it on his shoulder, carries it home, and then has a party. <laughs> you got to like, you got to like a parable. It ends with a party, right? Um, and so Jesus says in verse seven, I tell you that the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So basically he's saying here to these religious elite, you're, you're missing kind of the point. Silver coins then. Uh, this is a little less known story. Woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. And, and then Jesus says, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? The first one I think has to do with the concern for the one. Out of the hundred, the shepherd is still concerned for the one. Uh, this second one I think has to do with the links to which she goes in order to find what's lost, right? That mm. that's, tells us something here. So when she finds it, she calls her, her uh, friends and neighbors and Said, hey, let's have a party, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So three lost things, and then we're going <laughs> to get parties. Three, three found parties. So uh, basically, she's she's saying, rejoice with me, rejoice. You know, that's the idea. Rejoice with me. I've found what was lost, and you sh- you should be happy with me, right? Mm-hmm. And so then we have this story of the of the prodigal. And of course, this is much more well developed. There's a man who goes on a long journey. Um, he, he asked for his inheritance, first of all, which let me say culturally, um, if you've heard this preach, you probably heard a lot of what I'm getting ready to say, but culturally that would have been an, an unexpected thing anyway. To ask for his inheritance while his father was still alive would have been considered kind of a, a slap in the face, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he takes it and he goes into a far country. So he, he takes this, this long journey into foreign territory. Uh, and there it, he begins to use uh, all, all of this 
all this in uh, and waste all this this well squandered is the word that that's used in my text in wild living he squandered this in wild living and then after he'd spent everything a severe famine hits the land and so he finds himself in dif- difficult circumstances and this is one of those details that if we just read it I think we might miss a little bit, uh, not thinking about it culturally, but it says he hires himself out to someone from that country who sent him out into the fields to feed his pigs. Now, you're talking about Pharisees, religious leaders for whom pigs were considered unclean animals, right? right. That you never would come into contact with. And he finds himself eat, feeding pigs and even longing to fill his stomach with with what the pigs are eating, he's in that difficult uh, of a situation. And so he has this kind of moment of clarity and he speaks to to himself and he says, well, I'm going to go and just throw myself. My father's servants have it better than I do. So I'm going to throw himself on his mercy, even though I have kind of shamed myself in his presence by asking for my inheritance. I've wasted it now. I'm going to go back and just say, hey, hire me as one of your hired hands, and I'll be in a better situation than I find myself in now. And so he goes um, to, to talk to him, and before he can even kind of give him that that speech, the father comes and and runs to, to him, and there's a lot of people make a big deal about this. There's a really good author, by the way, by the name of Kenneth Bailey, uh, that has written about some of these things because he'd spent a lot of time studying kind of the the cultural um, dynamics of shepherding and all, all these kind of things and has drawn out some really cool uh, I- images like this. But one of the things he mentions is, is the father running was kind of an unexpected detail that he would he would kind of um, – how would I say him put him put himself in a in, in a different kind of situation than a father head of the family typically would, mm-hmm. but he goes out and he he throws his arms around his son and kisses him and receives him back, not as a hired servant, but instead as a son, and, and he says, "Bring out the best robe, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet." In other words, restore him to his position that he has previously. Bring the fattened calf, and the idea is that that this is one that we put aside in the barn. We've been feeding <laughs> feeding extra in order to have a big party. And he says, "Let's celebrate." And why do we celebrate? Well, my son was the way he says that my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And he's now found. So they had a party, right? As one does. <laughs> well, you, so you see the similarities, mm-hmm. right? You yeah, see, absolutely. see what's going on in all three of those. Um, and so then what happens is we find this final scene. The older son comes along and he hears what's going on. And he's like, what in the world's going on? So he asked. And they say, your brother has come and your father's killed the fattened calf because he's back safe and sound. And the, the older brother refuses refuses to go into the party. And his basic thing is, um, I've been here all the time. I didn't shame you in this way. I didn't do anything I shouldn't have done. And you're celebrating because the son of the son of yours, my brother has come back. Right. Uh, actually the son of yours is what he says. But, um, and, and so in that context, that's, <laughs> What do you think the primary point that Jesus is trying to get across is? How would you how would you put what is what is his primary point Ryan? about the older brother? Yeah. Uh, well, I think he's made a comment to the Pharisees that you know that they that this is their brother and they need to celebrate. You know that that yeah. it's 
they're more concerned about themselves and the position yes. they've held than actually about i mean this is the classic thing that jesus always points out you've lost the you know the law but you've lost the heart of the law yep. like you're not you don't know what it's yeah. about it's not about bringing people you're you, you've made it legalistic and it's about right. bringing people to the father you muttered yeah you muttered about these sinners and these tax collectors and yet the angels are rejoicing over a sinner more than they are righteous people who are you know like the older brother who was there all along uh, and so that basically there's a time to rejoice when, when they come back and that should be your attitude. And instead your attitude is who are these people? You know, why, why, why are they here at the same time? It, we're going to see that that's kind of a common issue that Jesus had to deal with. And, and I think there's a really good reason that he uses parables in order to do that. Okay. Here's, here's a parable question for you though. Okay. As we think about this, how should we think about the Pharisees and the fact that they, it, it when you know this is i think this is always a thing i always want to ask you like when does it when does it break down you know like a parable uh-huh. always has limits on it so the, the pharisees are the ones that have stayed faithful to him right. so are are we to think that they would they have just said like we should be rejoicing but we're still part of the family or what do you think do you think there there is another message even there for them and that as well? Uh, I think there's a pretty serious message here, and we're going to get into a couple of parables here in just a minute um, where that message comes through even clearer, I think. Okay. Uh, in, in other words, yeah. The, I'm just asking the reverse of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like no, it's, I, it's, it's, I absolutely get it. They're, it. they're the son that stayed around, so the son's right. been faithful to the father, hypothetically faithful to the father. Exactly. Uh, uh-huh. So I just but, wondered, you know, when when do we stop? You know, because there's because <laughs> well, I think there's sometimes you can we can how far can we stretch this? This is always I, my thing. I was going to say this a little bit later, but this this may be the time to say it. My uh, I'm sitting here uh, trying to find that there it is. My my uh, iPad that I have my notes on um, just decided to lose lose its batteries. Um, so here, there, I'm finally back. Uh, we're, I'm, I was going to say this a little bit later, but it reminds me a little bit of what Jody Owens talked about. Mm. Um, parable is a kind of wisdom literature. Right. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the most famous parable in the Old Testament may give us an example of this. It, it's Nathan talking to David. Mm-hmm. And do you remember that parable where he says there was a man who had, you know, all kinds of sheep and, and his neighbor only had one. And so he sent and took that sheep. This is after David had committed um, adultery with Bathsheba Bathsheba. Mm -hmm. and then killed Uriah the Hittite over it. And he tells a story about one who took the one ewe lamb that belonged to this man and, and, uh, you know, had the man killed. And then, and then he says, what should, well, no, he didn't have the man killed, did he? He said, what should happen to this man? No, that he did, didn't he? He says, what should happen? And Jesus, Jesus, David said he should pay four (laughs) times for this. And, and and of course, then the famous in the King James, the famous, thou art the man, you know, it was you, David, you are the one, the parable, you, you took what did not belong to you and, and you, you know, you punished the one, killed the one who, who belonged to. So, so here's my point is wisdom literature. Jody Owens taught us is something that we, we look at over and over again, and we're, we're seeking the meaning. And I think we'll find some examples of this uh, a little bit later in, in, in some of the other examples I have, but, but here's kind of what I want to, here's the way I want to ask this question. What was Jesus doing is what we have to ask with this parable. 
in, in its context? What was its force or what was its function? And I think that's what you're getting at. What What's he trying to do? Now, here's why I want to bring in worldviews <laughs> at this point. Uh, because my introduction to worldviews was not the same as yours. You, you were introduced to worldviews at Lincoln, where we where we both were and where we met, and uh, there it was through a course, and it was a good good course series of courses actually about worldview. And what was the first text? Was it? Um, um, it was Universe Next Door by James you, Sire. By James Sire, which talks about the concept of worldview, and you guys had to do worldview charts and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. My introduction to worldview was a little bit different because my introduction to that concept was through N.T. Wright, mm-hmm. uh, and particularly his book that was so influential on me, New Testament People of God. Um, and here's what's interesting to this about me is we mentioned Transforming Vision a couple of uh, episodes ago, and it's one that you just finished reading. I said it was a really good one to read. And this is where this concept of rights kind of comes in. He he dedicates New Testament people of God. As I mentioned, Brian Walsh, one of the authors of that Transforming Vision, they were in Toronto together for for a, a few years teaching in the same university setting, and and they rubbed off on one another in a sense. And and this idea of worldview is one that became very central to to right in his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, for him, he talks about the way that worldviews can be analyzed, but he also talks about the way that worldviews are formed. And, and so there's always four elements, he says, to a worldview. And you, you talked about this a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago. One of them is questions. And you talked about those questions. Who are we? Where are we? What's the problem and what's the yeah. solution? And the yeah. way we answer those questions say a lot about our worldview. So one of the, are these basic human questions. Uh, Wright actually added one question to that. He says, what time is it? In other words, where are we on kind of the <laughs> eschatological, for lack, lack of a better term, you know, how far are we from the end of the world in all of this? Right. You know, where, where are we in this? Right. Where are we and, in the story? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so the other one is stories. Well, I'll come back to that in a minute. He he talks about beliefs and then symbols as well, and then stories. And all four of those are interchangeable. Um, So let me try. I always try to give an example of this. so, so the story, um, well, a famous story for us, right, is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We would say that's the gospel. It's central to, to who we are as believers. And one of the actions, one of the practices that we put in place along with that is the Lord's Supper. Right. And and so there's a way in which those interact together, that story and the practices that we, we engage in. And that also answers the question, what's the problem? Well, the problem is sin. And what's the solution? Well, Jesus has died for our sins. So, so you get what I'm saying? Worldview kind of becomes this kind of enmeshed thing. Um, and, and and they they feed on one another. So stories, according to N.T. Wright, become a way that um, worldviews even are kind of formed. And, and so we will tell stories the way. Or let me put it this way: the way we tell stories will support our worldview. Right. Now, now think about that for a minute. I know we have some audience members out there that need to hear that. Let me say it again: the way we tell stories will help to support our worldview. Uh, and, and the thing that Wright would say is worldviews are very, um, th- they have, uh, what would be the word I would use here? Um, they, they, they have a tendency 
to to stay in one place, right? And there's an accretion to them. So I guess what the what's the word I'm looking for when when uh, a body in motion stays in motion, a body at inertia. rest stays in rest. Inertia. There, there's a the, thank you. There's a certain amount of inertia to our worldviews. Hmm. Now think about that. So what we do is we, when we tell a story, we'll tell it in a way that is. Um, some people call this cognitive bias. We'll tell the story in a way that it fits with our understanding of the way the world works. Hmm. So we could look at the same event and we could look at the same event and, and tell the story in different ways. So I don't want to get too far down that way, but, but here's a, I'm going to give you a couple of quotes from the new Testament people of God. One of them is, is right. says people tell stories to bring worldviews into articulation so if I want to describe my worldview, and I don't even know I'm doing it. I know people are going, oh, I've, never talked, I've never articulated any worldview. Well, yeah, you have. And, and it's the way you, you tell the stories about what's going on around you. If I was a – go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, yeah, it, it, <laughs> you may not be saying everything. You, you may not think you're saying it. But, yeah. again, what the how you're saying it and yeah. the emphasis that you put on certain aspects of it point back towards your worldview. So if I was a braver person, I would use the example from the news this week of Yegeni Progoshin, his jet being down, right? Right. So depending on your worldview, you may tell the story in a different way. Right. And I, <laughs> I even heard on the radio just before on the way here, uh, a guy talking about a, a Russian who was at his uh, funeral service saying, well, I think he's still alive. <laughs> I think that he's this is a way we've he's a, they told us he was dead before and we didn't see a body, uh, you know, and so right. it's like, oh, OK, but you get what I'm saying is worldviews kind of have the, the, they're hard to move. Mm. Right. And, and this oh, is yeah. where. This is where we are in this in this country, right? We have different ways of looking at at those big questions, and and that's very difficult, and and that's okay. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with that, except right. We we need to be willing to look at other things, and and here's my point. This is where Jesus found himself. Jesus found himself articulating a different worldview to a people to whom he was sent who had a very um, strong sense of how the world was supposed to work. Hmm. So the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law can be understood as a conflict of worldview. Um, you know, he's saying that there's a misunderstanding here. Now, let me, well, let me read one more quote. And this is a longer quote from N.T. Wright. He says, nevertheless, it is precisely part of the story that we continually tell ourselves as making most sense of our being in the world that there exist, in addition to our own private stories, other stories, other texts, including those found in the New Testament, and that these, these stories may, if we attend to them. And you said you haven't started reading uh, Lonergan yet, but he says, if we attend to them. So if we pay attention to these stories, they may... And here, here are the choices. They may reaffirm, modify, or subvert some or all of the stories we've been telling ourselves. They can affirm them or reaffirm them. They can modify them. So, okay, we've been pretty much on the same track, but this is going to be a little bit, you know, I'm going to move me a little bit this way. Or they can subvert them, which is one of those occasions that happens when you 
you kind of suddenly realize the fancy word is paradigm shift, right? When, when there's enough things that happen that suddenly you realize your worldview is turned inside out mm-hmm. uh, and you need to rethink everything. Well, if you're intellectually virtuous, you rethink <laughs> everything or you just dig yourself well, in I further. Think, I think we can get, I don't even think sometimes, so I think that's what conversion is. Mm-hmm. I think when someone becomes a Christian, there are enough things that have piled up to a point where they're like, oh my goodness, things are not what they seem, right? Things things have changed. And, and so I I like you said, if they're intellectually virtuous, I've got to I've got to rethink everything. Now, here's something else that that Wright says, and, and I'm gonna kind of simplify the way he says it, but basically he says stories are especially good for subverting worldviews. And I think that may be one of the most important things that I've ever heard him say. Stories are especially good at subverting worldviews. And that's why I think Jesus told parables. Hmm. Because they were stories to subvert worldviews. So let's look at chapter earlier. Uh, we've been looking at Luke 15. L- let's look at Luke, Luke 14. I like that quote. I, I, I mean, I know it's not a direct quote, but that's that's a it's a very interesting concept because yeah. I think it's as we talked about, they stick with you, and yes. because you have to think about them, and you're you're looking, who am I in the story? <laughs> am exactly. I, am I and, the good guy or am I the bad guy in this story? And and we need to get back to. Uh, at the end, I'm planning on on talking about this. I think this needs this makes us think about how we do what we do <laughs> as Christians and, and and in other ways as well. Um, I think we need to come back to this. So so don't let's not go too far down that rabbit hole yet. But I I, I do plan okay. on. Well, doing I'm that. The, the 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 head spinning here, Brian. <laughs> well, that's good. I like it when your head spins. Well, not, this, not, this is not a. Whatever that movie was. <laughs> the Exorcist. Exorcist. There you okay. go. Okay. Uh, so this is the the parable. This is what led me here today. I used this just as a sub point in a sermon this last weekend, but I was thinking about it a lot. Uh, it's from it's from Luke 14, and, and it's the parable of the man who was throwing a banquet. I, I can't remember the official title of this, but basically the, the man who invited people to his banquet. Um, before I look at that, though, let's look at this setting. So that's back up in chapter 14, verse 1. Do you have that there? Mm-hmm. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Okay, a couple things here that are really interesting. So Jesus invited to this prominent Pharisee's house, and and there he's there for them to watch. Now, what happens is there's a man who comes in who has um, an illness, an abnormal swelling. And so the Jesus, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of law. And it's almost like, you know, this happens all the time when Jesus is at some Pharisee's house. There's some guy who comes, sick guy comes in. So he says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They don't say anything because they're just watching him, right? And so Jesus heals the man. And then he says, he quotes them basically from the law. He says, if one of you has a child or an ox and they fall into a well, you'll get them out on the Sabbath day, which which was allowed. You know, if, if something was going to be a loss of, of life or a loss of property, you're allowed to get that ox out of the out of the well. 
And so they said nothing. And then Jesus kind of gives us teaching. He said he was kind of looking at everybody taking their their places of honor. And he said, you know, uh, you really should should not go set in places of honor. You should you should, uh, um, you know, um set at a lower seat. And then when the host elevates you, it'll make you look good. Whereas if you try to sit in the chief seat, you're going to be humiliated, you know? And and so he goes through this, all this thing and talks about, um, you really should invite the crippled and the lame and the poor to your, to your meals. And so the, one of them says this, this is verse 15, and this is the introduction to the parable itself. When one of those at the table heard him say this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. I kind of imagine him, if you've ever been at one of these events or whatever, he's just one of these guys that doesn't quite see what's going on. <laughs> Everybody else is like a hushed silence, and then like this guy's like... But he, he hears Jesus Ernest talking goes about... goes to dinner. <laughs> exactly. He hears Jesus talking about all this feast stuff. And I think this, this does show us a common thought, though. This idea of this great banquet that God was going to throw at the end of time. But here's the thing. I think all of the people who were at this prominent Pharisees party probably thought they were going to be at the chief seats of the bar of, of the of the banquet. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, they were there to bust Jesus. Weren't <laughs> well, they? They were. And so, but but my point is their worldview is shown here in that they're saying, Oh, I think we're we're the ones who are going to be a part of this big eschatological banquet. Let me let me call it that fancy term. So Jesus tells him a parable, uh, and here's the interesting thing. I'll read a little bit of it. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. So at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who've been invited, come for everything is now ready. So the invitations went out, right? And now he's saying, okay, it's time for the banquet. But they all then began to make excuses. So all these people who'd been invited first said, well, I just bought a field and I must go see about it. Please excuse me. So, so he has this kind of financial thing that's, that's his excuse. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. So I've got, you know, more important things to do. Still another says, I just got married, so I can't, I can't come to the banquet. Servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant says, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servants, go out into the roads and, in other words, go far away, into the roads, the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Okay. So the ones who were initially invited, because they make their excuses when the time for the banquet comes, these others are invited instead. And then Jesus says this, and I think this answers your question that you you posed earlier. Jesus ends his parable, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So what what's Jesus that saying? Jesus is a, is a mood killer. <laughs> Yeah, do you You've want to got Ernest him? saying, "Hey, man." <laughs> so, how? What do you think he's saying? What? What? How would you I understand this in the context? Those the the Pharisees who think that they're great, who have missed the the point of the law, yeah. who have missed the heart of the law, are not going to find themselves at this banquet. That they think that they're the ones that deserve to be there. Instead, That's the, what I think. Instead, the very people 
that they would see as cursed by God, the lame, the poor, the crippled, the blind. Blindness, this is is a little bit of a worldview thing. Blindness in the first century, in first century Jewish culture, was seen as as a curse from God. Uh, And and there's a really interesting story in the intertestamental period called Tobit that that shows that clearly. But you can even see in the New Testament. That's the old bird poop in the eye, right? The old bird poop in the eye guy. Yeah. If you haven't read Tobit, go and read Tobit. Great story. Great story. Uh, it's it's a little like Job because his wife says, "Well, surely you had to do some kind of sin to get to get blind that way." I just and sleeping I- outside by the wall. <laughs> the irony is that he was he he got he was blinded because he was trying to do the most righteous thing that he could. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's another story that subverts that kind of an idea. Um, Jesus' disciples remember when they they encountered a blind a man who'd been born blind. Mm-hmm. They're Who like, sinned? "Okay, this what's that? Who yeah. sinned?" Because he was born blind, you know, there's no question that sin is a, is the reason for this. But was it his parents or was it him? That was their theological issue. And Jesus is like, oh, guys, come on. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you're understanding the point. So He's like, catch up. I got to go party to kill. <laughs> so here's my point is that Jesus, I think, is subverting the thinking. And this is what brings us opposition. He's subverting the thinking uh, with these parables uh, of of the Pharisees, and and here you know here's N.T. Wright. Stories are especially good for subverting worldviews. If you want to overturn someone's way of viewing the world, you should tell them a story. So here's where I was thought thought we'd talk about the kingdom a little bit because I mentioned back uh, when we talked about the kingdom of heaven stuff that Jesus uses kingdom parables to talk about the nature of the kingdom and how it's different than what people were expecting. You remember we talked about the the kingdom was a concept in the Old Testament, uh, but then um, even though we don't find that exact phrase, but this idea of, you know, one of David's line that's going to reign eternally on a throne. But then I think especially under the influence of the Maccabees, which we we talked about a different time, um, especially because of that influence, the idea of the kingdom became about um, a military overthrow of the government that was there at the time um, that would, um, um, you know, usher in a new age for God's people. Okay, that's what they were thinking the Messiah was going to do, and so Jesus had to subvert that idea of what the kingdom meant. Hmm. Uh, as we mentioned, then the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is central to Jesus' teaching. And um, it's it's some of the harder things that Jesus taught, I think, in in this. Some of the things when we talked, you remember when we talked about G- stories about Jesus, our favorite stories, and some of the hard ones. Yeah, I think these are some of the harder ones. So several times when Jesus is announcing the kingdom, he uses a parable to talk about what the kingdom is like. So one of the ones I thought we would talk about is the parable of. Some people call it the sower or the parable of the seed, or some people call it the parable of the soils, because that's that's what's really what's different. You know, you know the story of man sowing seed, and the seed falls on four t- types of soil. Uh, right. If it falls on rocky soil, it falls um, you know um, among the weeds, and, and there's there's four different kinds of soil. Uh, you know, the fourth kind is it falls on good soil and it produces 30, 60, or 90, 90 times a crop. Let's look. This is in Matthew thirteen. That's where it's told. Let's look at the setting there. Do you did you yep, did you? I got it. 
Okay, go ahead and, and read just the first three verses. And I know the first three, just the first half of the, fir- of the third verse. Okay. If you would. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. Okay, so this is the first of these many things in parables that he tells them. So he's got a huge crowd that's coming around him. And so he tells them this this story. So some falls on rocky places, sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, they withered. Other seed fell among thorns, which was choked out. Other seed fell among good soil, produced a crop 160 or 30 times. Oh, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. I forgot, forgot that one. And so then he ends, whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, here's why I wanted to look at this one particularly, because Jesus tells this parable. And, and, and when I, would, I used to ask students this when I started talking about parables, and I really enjoyed doing it. I would say, well, why did Jesus teach in parables? You know, what, was he, what was he doing? Why did he teach in parables? And, and one of the answers that I would usually get, and maybe we, we think this, I don't know, is it, it, it made things easy to understand. That, that it was a way to explain a spiritual truth, right, in a simple way. Mm-hmm. So I, I would then usually read this passage <laughs> right after I heard that. All right. Here's the simple one, <laughs> kids. And, and, and so the disciples came to him, and they asked Jesus. So I say, well, why does Jesus say that he teaches in parables? Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophet Isaiah. You'll be always hearing, but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, I would heal them. He says, but to his disciples, blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you truly, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it and hear what you hear, uh, but did not hear. And then he explained to them the meaning of the of the parable of the sower. But my point was that, that Jesus is almost saying the opposite. I'm not telling them parables so that they can understand. I'm telling them parables Parables so so they they don't understand. Okay, so so what does that mean? And so he says the secrets of the kingdom have been given to you disciples. Is it is it only somebody? Is this Gnosticism? Is this only when we have secret, revealed knowledge that we can we can be insiders and be in the club? Or what what do you think? Well, I think him quoting Isaiah is important yeah. through all this stuff, and and also saying that uh, many prophets and righteous people long yeah. to see. Like I think there's well, when we see that the righteous people long to. They, I think Jesus is making the connection. Righteous people and prophets would have understood this as well, yeah. and you understand it now. And I think that reference back to Isaiah is Isaiah is talking about people who have been disobedient, right. To, you know, Isaiah is giving this prophecy. You're disobedient, and God says, "I'm going to shut shut your eyes, yeah. shut your ears, lest I turn from my anger towards you." Yeah. Um. And so, like for me, as I read that, I see that as it's it's not a secret knowledge, but it's kind of the, their disobedience has brought them this place of blindness right. to to what is being said. There's calloused hearts. This is where I was originally going to talk about Jody Jody Owen. Then mm-hmm. that that these are given so that if you 
you know, and Jesus, get, he, he does, he, he interprets some for them. And, and, and if you meditate on them and if you think through, uh, you, you know, and, and you, you have an open heart and open mind to hear what Jesus has to say, then you come to an understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is like then. Um, there's the element of growth is one of the things, you know, Jesus uses so many parables about the kingdom that has to do with, um, with this idea of growing. He goes on the next then verse 24 and talks about the parable, uh, of the good seed, right? And, and he, he sows the good seed, but an enemy comes and sows weeds among the wheat, and so the man says, wait till the end uh, at harvest, and then we'll pull them in, and and the wheat will be thrown into the fire. Um, but then the the next parable, so he's telling several of these. He, he talks about, too, this idea of the mustard seed. Uh, it's the smallest of a seed, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of the plants and, and becomes a tree where the birds come and, and perch in its branches. And the idea there, I think, is that that it becomes a place of refuge, right? Uh, a kingdom of heaven is like yeast, which a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour, is the, is the NIV translation there, until it worked through the dough. Which I don't know if you know, but 60 pounds of flour would make a lot of bread. Um, I think the <laughs> I'm estimate, not a baker, but I can imagine. I think the estimate I, I read one time was 600 loaves. So not loaves like our, you know, not like Wonder Bread, right? But 600 meals. So, so she's literally, I always say she, when I'm teaching this, she's literally cooking for an army, right? This is a huge amount. And, and so the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's, it's the idea of, of yeast that, that, that spreads and it causes growth, right? It causes things to grow. And, and so then it says, Jesus spoke to the crowd in parables. Uh, he says, and then I want to look at this last one because, uh, okay. well, he, 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 he talks about the, the, who is the good seed and who's the bad seed. He talks about the son of man himself is the one who sowed the good seed. Uh, the the evil one is the one who who, who sold this. Uh, so then he talks about the king, kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Uh, when you find it, you go and, and sell everything you have to get it. In other words, the kingdom is more valuable than, than everything. It's um, a pearl of great price. <laughs> right. So I was wanting to talk about the disobedient son, and I'm trying to remember where. Oh, that's down. In, that's in chapter 21. So he tells all these kingdom parables uh, throughout this, and, and so again, I guess my point here is that the these are things that we have to think about. This is when I was talking at the beginning that they are, um, they're surprisingly their simplicity hides their their difficulty i guess is what i'm trying to say mm-hmm. uh, and, and so they they need to be meditated on and they need to be put in in context so uh i'll just can we ruminate on here sure. ruminate yeah as i'm using this word so back here to the parable of the sower yeah going back to this and this isaiah passage in there and, and they're not understanding so right. I, I mean it's the thought i mean again this is conjecture i'm thinking but like that they, they're going to think about these things and i think about that isaiah passage and like Make the like it's it, because it is wisdom literature in some ways. Like it's the meditation; they're they're meditating on it. Right. That that they'll eventually find. It's for them to think about what soil they are, and that you know. I, let I, me I, let me ask you: Were there any Pharisees in the early church? Yes. So, so it it was designed for them to. So, you know, I think this is one thing we've talked about. This, you know, it's sometimes preached a certain way, but like right. your soil doesn't have to be your permanent soil. Right. Right. Yeah. 
I think I think the <clears throat> yeah the point of it is the, the whole point of all these parables I think are to subvert worldviews. Well, are, are, I, I'm just saying, like I've heard this taught before, where it's like this you're is determined. just this, yeah. you're determined. This is the soil you are, and that, God has shut up your some of these people's eyes and ears because my of who estimation, they are. my estimation would be that would be reading a, a worldview <laughs> into the text, but you know, right? Um, uh, anyway, but Look, well, I, let me I, just just as a side aside, just no, to talk no, about good. while we're talking about like meditation literature, what yeah. do we do with that? Yeah. Yeah, I okay. think we, I think we, we, yeah, we, we have to meditate on it. We have to spend time in, in thinking about it. Ma- Matthew 21, then, is where I wanted to go. And okay. so here's the setting of this. And, and this is the parable of disobedient sin I was going to, I was going to go to here. Uh, and I'm going to give you some of the, some of the story that goes with this context. Uh, Jesus entered the temple courts. And while he was teaching the chief priest and the elders of the people, I always say, Always slow down and think about who it is that the opposition is, uh, because we often read that like, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, the Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, it's all the same. But but slow down and think about who he's talking to. Chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And so Jesus says, well, let me ask you a question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or was it a human origin? So this is this is not a parable, but I find this just fascinating too. This is a good answer mm-hmm. um, by what authority you're doing these things. And so he says, well, let me ask you a question and then I'll answer you. So they discussed it among themselves. And they said, well, if we say from heaven, then he will say, why didn't you believe in him? If we said from human origin, we're afraid of the people, for they all heard that or held that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, "We don't know." And then he said, "Neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things." But it's interesting. He says, "Well, I'm not going to answer you," but he really does, mm-hmm. because basically he's saying, "My authority is the same as John's. Uh, his authority was from above, and my authority is from above as well." Uh, which I, th- I just find that really fascinating. And so then Jesus decides to do what? To tell a parable. What do you think he said? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. So describe that kind of person. What 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 does this first son make you think about? Uh, like why he didn't go out? Yeah. I mean, somebody who's saying, I will not, what, what does that, what does that make you, what are some things that that makes you think? Uh, I will not is disobedience, disobedience, rebellion, rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would okay. say those things like it's, you're, you're, you're being told, um, to do something, to go and do something and you, and you're refusing to you do refuse it. to, but later you change your mind and do it. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. I will, sir. But he okay. did not go. But he did not go. So that's the kind of person. So when you say, I will, sir, what is that What is that representative of? Well, it's representative if, of obedience. Of obedience, of righteousness, right? Uh-huh. But if you don't <laughs> go. So which of these two did what the father wanted? Hmm. Jesus asked. So now do you see again this this idea of of what these stories are to do right so 
somebody's going to go, well, and they answered him. The first, uh, even though he said he wasn't going to do it, he did it, right? Mm-hmm. So it was the first. And so Jesus answered to them and said, you know, this may answer your other question as well. Truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. <laughs> okay. So so what are they representative of? Those who initially were rebellious, but but then did what the what the Can't father had asked, right? Yeah. And, and on the other hand are those who we talked about the position. They see themselves as righteous, and yet when the when the father sends the son, they refuse to recognize him. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after this, you did not repent and believed. So then in verse 33, he says, let me tell you another parable. And, and I'm not going to spend the time talking about this. John Weatherly in his episode on, on Luke talked a lot about this. And the New Testament people of God by N.T. Wright, this for him becomes the overriding paradigm for Jesus ministry uh, and what he's saying about God and what he's saying about um, your question. Do those who were uh, a part of God's people before who now refuse to see Jesus, are they a part of the the banquet at the end? Uh, because he tells them about a vineyard, right? It's a story about, you know, the man who, uh, sends tenants and they they won't pay him and so he keeps sending others and and they kill them and finally he they kill the son mm-hmm. and and um then then he says this verse 40 therefore the owner of the vineyard comes what will he do to these tenants and their answer is he bring these wretches to a wretched end he, he will rent the vineyard to other tenants he'll give him the share of the crop at who will give him the share of crop at harvest time and then Jesus says, have you never read that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? So you see the subversion that's going on here. He's trying to get them to change their understanding that is so so stagnant and so set in place, right, that they refuse to see him as the one who was to come. And so he tells them this story that they can see the point of the story, right? But then he's wanting them to see themselves in it. Uh, I have down here, there's verse 45 and 46. So here's the end of this. And I think this tells us a lot. When the chief priest and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them, right? They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So, you know, he's using these stories, again, to kind of get under their skin and to, to change things. So Mission accomplished. So so here's where I wanted to talk about what you started to talk about earlier. What does this suggest to us then? If we think that stories are especially good for subverting worldviews, then, then what does that tell us? About the nature of parables or... I don't know. Whatever you want to talk about, we should tell more stories. <laughs> I, it, it, the, I think we. I think we should tell more stories, and I think we should tell the right kind of stories. Mm. I think we should be careful of the stories that we tell, mm-hmm. because our stories are, we said earlier, are articulating our worldview. Mm. Right, um, the stories that we tell are articulating our worldview, and, and stories people will remember stories. 
Yeah. And it's I'm not, a preacher. It's, I'm a preacher. People remember stories more than they remember the sermon, right? Right. Anyway, but I mean, you, you're, you're saying it, it's not it's not just about like, oh, I'm a teacher and I'm telling a story in a teaching context. It's the stories no. we tell yes. to the person at the store. It's the person that's sitting next to us, you know, if we're talking, if we talk to them, you know, it's the stories we're telling online. It's the stories, you know, the 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 stories that we're telling in our everyday life. We also, are we are story making people. Mm-hmm. And, and you talked about culture a couple of weeks ago. I think when we talk about culture making, mm. that's what we're talking about. We're talking about story making that we we're creating narratives um, that that speak a lot about our understanding of of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, how we how we you know, and it's how we live in the world is a story right. of itself. How we choose to live is writing us you know through our lives. How we choose yeah. to choose to live. If you've ever done this lately, look at, and I'm going to get lambasted for saying this, but look at two different news channels, hmm. right? Um, they understand well, I think, that they are telling stories to articulate a worldview. Um, do, do you get what I'm saying? So, oh, yeah. So... I think we need to be very careful as as followers of Jesus to think so so what was Jesus doing? I think we need to think about the force that our stories have. Uh, I think we need to think about their their um, you know what what they're communicating, uh, what they're doing because <laughs> stories do things they they don't they're not just they're not just passive stories do things. yeah well I, I think that's something we've talked about before. We've talked about previous, very recently. It's just, you know, we are not only are we story generating machines, we are story receivers all the time. And that, you know, we've talked about this idea, I think, with Chad Ragsdale about kind of resilient discipleship. Like, how do you become a resilient disciple at church this last Sunday? We we talked about Hebrews 2, like, drift away. Like, the stories, what if we're Mm -hmm. not guarding ourselves, the stories we allow others to tell us can subvert a biblical worldview exactly uh, exactly of, of what of who we are and what we're created to be and that yeah. and i think that's the thing that is so important for us especially in today's context we are bombarded by stories yeah more than any other time in the world well, i mean we talk about binging tv shows now right mm. and and uh <laughs> you know think about that i mean think think about some of your tv shows and and you know I'm not, I'm not advocating um, us isolating ourselves from all culture. That's that's not what I'm saying. But I'm thinking we need to be critical uh, of what is being entered into us and what what is being said, both the text and the subtext. Right, mm-hmm. um, the subversive elements. This is a very calm example it, you know what I, what I hate on my phone I like on my cell phone or what I don't it, it usually pops up on Sunday while I'm at church I get a notification on my phone it's in my pocket it vibrates and of course I'm compulsive and I look at oh what's right. the message and it's like oh your screen time is up this week right. you know like how many percentages or you know what how many how long were you on a device this week and I look at it and I'm just like oh my gosh like that it was it, it's in kind of going that's 
yes, I'm doing some work, but I'm also spending my fair share of time browsing or surfing other things. And I think one of the things, this is a very calm example of this, and it created this anxiety of me is, you know, I've, I've always watched these guys like efficiency, like how do I become more efficient in my life and do this and plan this and write, yeah. write all this down. And once, once I become super efficient... Right. Then I am going to reach this next level of my existence, and I'm going right. to unlock this potential level, latent up. potential that's just lying inside of me. And you know, I, yeah, I try all these things, and I'm like, I'm, efficiency is not bad. Like trying to be efficient is not bad, but it became like this almost anxiety ridden thing right. for me because I kept going to these places, telling me that like efficiency is happiness is, efficiency is, is, is the end goal is yeah. the end goal and so it was right. uh, for me it, it, that's a stupid example not a stupid example no, but i mean it, it is a, it's a story i was a story that i was immersed in um and i didn't uh, you know i wouldn't say it changed my biblical worldview but it did create an anxiety <laughs> in me that was not exactly of god let me let me give a little bit more controversial example if you're watching <laughs> And I don't care what what news channel, but if you're watching a news channel for longer than one hour, maybe on the outside two hours a day, then what you are doing is you are allowing that news channel to um, articulate your, your articulate your worldview, and I I can see it happening, um, and I and I hear it, and I hear people say stuff, and I'm like, what, <laughs> you know. And and we just we've got to be really really careful. Um, well, I, I think I think we are, you know, I, I think we're being discipled by, you know, Christians are allowing themselves to be discipled by all kinds of different voices. Um, and Jesus said something about a sheep and knowing his voice or something. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. It's I, it, but it's again what you said is so true. I had a conversation with a, a neighbor. Uh, the other day, and he, he was visiting and brought something up, and he heard it in the news. And I was like, I know who this person is that he was referring to, right. but not this particular story. Well, this right. particular story came from this news station to do this. And I was just like, yeah. I, I, I know what the news station is saying based upon what this person says to me. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, you know, how did we pick this needle out of the haystack? But that's where, that's where we landed. And it right. was, that's, that's again it's not to say that you can't see those things but it's like we yeah. have to guard our minds from being like conformed to that image conformed to them exactly and and the other thing i guess i just want to say very clearly is when we meet someone with a different worldview mm. okay one of the things i wanted us to think about is it's probably not going to be facts <laughs> Right. It's probably not going to be. And, and I know this sounds this sounds funny. It's probably not going to be statistics. But what is very powerful is a story. Like you, you know that as a as a, as a videographer. Right. Uh, I mean, you're constantly telling that to your customers. Right. That that you need to get the, the story. All you're doing is trying to tell the story in a way that it has an impact. Right. Yeah. A, a compelling story. Those words go together. Very easy, compelling yeah, story. Exactly, yeah. Compelling statistics, not so much, but <laughs> but you you get what I'm saying. Is I think I think that's when we're thinking about um, you know butting heads and that kind of thing. We sh <laughs> we might be better because Jesus could have said to the Pharisees, 
you guys are missing the boat. Here's what you need to be doing. Right. And, 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 you know, butting heads with them and he butted heads with them. Don't get me wrong. And there, you know, the seven woes, <laughs> the Pharisees is pretty, pretty strong language. If you haven't read that recently, but, but he also told these stories trying to get under, I think, um, some of these defenses and get them to think about things in a different way. Now he was a masterful storyteller. Jesus was, mm-hmm. um, and, but I, I think thinking in those ways, like, how can I, you know, how can I get these things across? So anyway, just some thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really good. You know, the, we know the power of story. Jesus used story. Right. So we need to, as Christians, make sure the story we're telling is accurate and, and reflective of the story right. of, of God. And also we need to be on guard of the stories that we yeah. subject ourselves to. It needs to be true. Because, so. Yeah, I'm just just your point there made me really think about this. It was an interesting book I read. You know, when you think about what is true, um, you know the <laughs> the question are the are the Chronicles of Narnia true? Uh, well, there's a way in which they are. You know, they're they're true to the story, and that that's what I'm saying. You know, no, we don't believe they factually happen. They, you know, they're they're fiction, but they speak of a truth. I guess is what I'm trying to trying to say. Anyway, yeah. that's great. Good. The power of story right yeah. here. It's fantastic. Well, and, and I think uh, uh, not to just N.T. Wright party here. I was listening to <laughs> a, another book that he had. It, it was just really interesting. And he's like, you know, oftentimes we think about the gospel. We think incarnation, cross, death, bur- you right. know, burial, resurrection. Like yeah. there's all this middle stuff, these stories yeah. that, that are important to shaping. The gospel is yeah. in those, is in the, that middle section as well. And we got to yeah. pay attention to those, true. to those stories. So, well, Brian, thanks so much yeah. for that late night. The light Back here behind me on my window is going down, yeah, man. I still see it's light out there. You guys yeah, in Indianapolis right. living, living <laughs> eternal, 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 eternal paradise there. In, that, in my Greenwood. friend, is Greenwood, Indiana. Eternal They're on, paradise. I was almost told your address, but I guess I won't. Don't, Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> All right, Brian. Well, thanks so right. much. If you're enjoying the podcast, you know we invite you to uh, interact with us. Tell us what you like, yeah. what you don't. I know some of you got share our cell phone. Share with a friend. Share the share story it with a friend. We yes. If you've uh, if your head exploded last week, <laughs> we invite you to explode the heads of your friends. Well, Something I'm just like saying that. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying. Now like, we're gonna get banned. So. Anyway, going to do a deep fake. I'm of you. sorry, I said the wrong words for Brian. Oh, everyone, no. well, if you found, if you find it, if you find it meaningful and yeah. thoughtful for you, share the gift of thoughtfulness with others. Help, help others share their story as well. All right, well, thank you All so right. much, Brian. Appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you next Tuesday. All right, see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.